the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bust. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's contributor and the present author of the Roto Write-Up series, David Weirs. Today, we're taking the nerd quotient up a couple of notches and also perhaps talking some baseball, including a trio of top starting pitcher disappointments. And David, I have to say, when I met you, a little birdie told me that you really give us Rotographs writers uh, a good name with the, uh, the the nerd levels that you take us up to. You know, I, I find it kind of my responsibility, really. Like, the onus is on me to really bring the nerd level up a notch. Because anyone can be a baseball nerd. It's not that hard nowadays. But to be a StarCraft nerd, that really takes a lot of work. Yeah, and you know what? You were kind enough to grace us with a comparison of StarCraft 2 games and... I was actually curious, because in your last Roto write-up yesterday, you mentioned StarCraft in your introduction, and I was wondering if any of the commenters would actually mention that. And nobody did, unfortunately, except maybe to make fun of you. Right. We would never, ever do. So, please grace us with a comparison of these two StarCraft games, which I'm sure our listeners are itching to hear. Well, it, StarCraft 1 came out in, like, 1999, and it was huge in Korea, so on, so on, so on. We'll kind of move the timeline to about 2010. That's when Wings of Liberty, the first expansion, well, really the sequel, the first expansion to the sequel of StarCraft 2 came out. Um, now, in 2013, with Heart of the Swarm out, it's completely different from Wings of Liberty. That's crazy craziness. I- um. They added a couple new units for each of the three races, Terran, Protoss, and Zerg. And I happen to main Protoss. Um, I won't say at a high level, but I'm Masters on North America, which is like bronze in Korea. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, There's different tiers in the ladder, so to speak. Like bronze is the lowest, and silver, gold, etc., etc. All the way up to Grandmaster, which is the top 200 people on any given server. I will never, ever reach Grandmaster, but to be Masters, I feel pretty comfortable in that. That's uh, the top 2% of the North American ladder, so I am the 2%, Podhorser. That's me right now. (laughs) Okay, and you also actually watch other people play StarCraft, so... Avidly, yes. So would you consider yourself a StarCraft scout? Um, wow, that's, that's tough, because honestly, there are kind of minor leagues... Not exactly, but similar. There's parallels. Like Code S and WCS is the top tier echelon. That'd be the major leagues. And then like Code A slash Challenger League, that's kind of the minor leagues, upper minors. Then there's Code B and Zotac Cups and, you know, Gosu Cups and things like that, which are kind of, you know, the independent ball type things. Like people are still making money at it, but it's really hard to raise a family on something like that, you know? You know what's funny, Weir's? is that you're speaking English, and yet I don't understand the word that you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As someone who is an avid watcher of the GSL, which came on at 2 in the morning the other night, 
but myself and actually Brooks Baseball and a couple other baseball nerds, uh, I love Dan Brooks, uh, we were discussing it a little bit. It was a pretty big upset. It went the full seven games, and I won't spoil it, but I already did by calling it an upset. But it was one of the best GSL finals I've seen in a long time, probably since Blizzard Cup in 2011. But now we're getting pretty pretty lofty status there in historical realms. Okay, is there anything else that you want to add about StarCraft, like breakout players to watch for, or is it time to talk some baseball? Oh, I could talk StarCraft <laughs> all day. I mean, the metagame has shifted <laughs> completely in the past three months. The metagame? I don't believe it. Which is, <laughs> which, is, which is my favorite matchup, is Protoss vs. Zerg. Um, instead of doing, fa- like, Forge Expands, it's now Gateway Expands, because it opens up so much more options. Because you get, you know, your Cybercore out faster, so then you can do Stargate, two Stargate, you can go Robo, you can even go DT openings now, because it's only 100-100. So, Gateway Openings and the Mothership Core have completely revolutionized the metagame. And it's it's honestly amazing to watch it evolve as the day goes by. Because every new tournament, someone will come up with a brand new strategy that completely obliterates what we thought we knew about standard openings. And it's amazing. I love watching that. It does sound amazing the way you describe it. And I cannot wait to get into it myself so we can have week-long conversations about StarCraft II. Well, remember in Arizona, that was uh, the same week that MLG Dallas was going on. And I actually skipped out in a game to watch the MLG Finals. Yeah. And, And was that the same day that we ended up going into downtown Phoenix? Yes, actually, because I had free time in between the games. Yes, I remember that. You were yes. you were in the bar at a table by yourself watching your laptop. Yes. That was awesome. <laughs> like I said, I, I really bring the nerd level up. It's, it's what I try and aspire to do. All right, let's move along to some actual baseball talk. And we're going to start things off with the most interesting player alive today, which David is the most searched for player on Fangraphs at the current moment. And that's Tyler Lyons in St. Louis, the rookie left-hander. So what do we make of Lyons so far? He's had two starts, 129 ERA, uh, kind of a subpar minor league record. But, I mean, is this a guy that, obviously, NL-only leaguers have got to monitor, or I'm sure he's already on a team, because NL-only leaguers have got to pick up any player with a pulse. But is he worthy of consideration in more shallow leagues, like a 12-team mixed? Um, He's really just a stream candidate for me, but I take a very, very aggressive approach when it comes to streaming. Um, I'm a big, big fan of like an 80-20 budget breakdown. I'll spend 80% of my budget or 80% of my early picks on my hitters because I can always find pitching in 12-team mixed. Um, Once we get into 14 and 14-team, 16-team, or even like two catcher formats, then things change a little bit. But for me, Lions, he just has a stream candidate written all over him. Uh, you mentioned his great 1.29 ERA, but he's really, really relying on a 132 batting average of balls in play and a corresponding 91% left on base percentage. Um, call me crazy, but I think regression's going to hit him pretty heavy in the next few starts. Yeah, clearly. I mean, he's not going to maintain a sub-2 or even a sub-3 ERA. But I find, in my experience, that top ground ball guys that have very good control but mediocre strikeout rates get underrated in terms of prospect lists because they don't usually have the top-notch stuff, the big fastball that the top prospects possess. But with the ground ball rate and the good control – 
they're fully capable of posting, you know, mid-three ERAs. Uh, they're obviously not as intriguing in fantasy leagues because obviously strikeouts is a category. But I think they become somewhat underrated as prospects in real baseball. Would you kind of kind of like a like a Tim like a poor man's Tim Hudson almost like gets you know 50, 55 percent ground balls has an okay strikeout rate and doesn't walk a whole lot of guys. Yeah, even like a Trevor Cahill. Trevor Cahill is another example. Yeah, another Uh, great one. Yeah, I mean, these are guys that weren't, you know, top-of-the-line pitching prospects, but given their ground ball ways and their solid control, they don't necessarily need a really good strikeout rate to be pretty uh, good Major League starters. Mm -hmm. And I think Tyler Lyons fits into that mold. I just worry, though, in a mixed league, uh, I think I would agree with you that he really is just a streaming guy because strikeouts is a category, and you really can't afford to have a guy with a, a an upside of like six strikeouts per nine. And I mean, he's going to have the those games where he blows up. He's going to give up like ten hits in five innings and give up five runs, even though he doesn't give up a home run necessarily. And it's going to happen because balls are just going to find the holes. And, and it's that's it's what we saw Tim Hudson happen uh, the past couple starts for him really. Uh, his Tim Hudson's ERA is all the way up to 480, but his xFIP is down at 375. And like you said, a couple of ground balls with eyes here and there, and there goes his left on base percentage. Yeah, and and that's what's going to happen to ground ball guys. I mean, they're going to be prone to those types of blowups where mm-hmm. the hits just keep on falling. Like a Scott Diamond is another example because he's got a very low strikeout rate, but he's usually a ground ball guy mm-hmm. and uh, good control. So yeah, I would I would. Not really looking to him as a mixed leaguer, maybe a streaming option, but I think he might be fairly decent in a, an NL only or a deeper mixed league. Yeah, NL only. Um, I don't know if I would pick him up to own him, but he's definitely like a great two-start candidate guy in weekly leagues. Or if it's a favorable, it's like a favorable matchup by all means. Yeah, Lions is worth owning. I wouldn't say you know, ignore him, but I think we both agree that he's generally a stream guy right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get. I'll move on to a trio of preseason top starting pitchers. And, and these are guys who are established veterans who have been top-notch guys for many years. And they have been quite disappointing so far. The first guy is Matt Kane, who got uh, a whooping once again uh, yesterday by the Cardinals. And his ERA is up to 545. I mean, this is a guy who has basically been a low three to high two ERA guy since 2009. What is going on here? And is he like the ultimate by low at this point? Uh, I think your last few words sum it up beautifully. I think he is the ultimate by low. Um, He's just really getting snake bit by the long ball. Right now his home run rate is basically double. It's actually more than double of his career rate. And obviously that's not going to stick around. Uh, we all know Matt Cain induces the infield fly balls. He's an extremely fly ball heavy pitcher, and that's what suppresses his batting average balls in play. Uh, right now, though his BABIP is, isn't really out of line, it's actually below his career norm, his left on base percentage is over 15% worse than his career norm. So I think he's just, you know, and in experiencing a spell of bad luck. It's a big case of hit them where they ain't, and it's kind of you know, coming up tough luck losses all left and right for Kane right now. Yeah, you have to assume that that inflated home run per fly ball rate is what's really 
killing his left on base percentage because obviously when you're giving up more home runs than normal, then the base runners are going to be scoring more frequently on those long balls. And isn't it amazing what is going on in San Francisco? Because this is a team that we've analyzed uh, a lot over the years in their ability to outperform their uh, ERA estimators. Uh, you know, they always had low home run per fly ball rates. And we're always wondering, what is it in the water in San Francisco? And this year, Lincecum, Kane, and Ryan Vogelsong are significantly underperforming their Sierra marks. This is like the first time ever. So it's <laughs> crazy that it's all happening at the same time now. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, I think the stars, the moon, the sun, they all align. And people are going to have, you know, they're going to have knee-jerk reactions. But we got to remember that we're barely a third of the way into the season. And things are going to be a little rough right now. The signal-to-noise ratio is way off. It's going to be skewed heavily one way or the other. So we kind of got to like take a deep breath, a step back, and be like, okay, we're looking at Matt Cain. His swinging strikeout rate, or his swinging strike rate is perfect. His first strike percentage is great. His overall, you know, plate discipline stats in general are right in line. I'm going to go trade for Matt Cain right now for 50 cents on the dollar, or whatever you think. I know the answer. The answer is that the entire Giants pitching staff is spending way too much time playing StarCraft II. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because honestly now uh, the Bay Area in general is kind of becoming like a safe haven for StarCraft nerds. See, I knew it. Uh, <laughs> like it was Phoenix and then it was kind of the greater LA area, but now more and more teams and companies are having their headquarters and their team houses Yes, StarCraft team houses. It's spreading. Yes, exactly. It's becoming mainstream. Uh, one uh, of uh, us, Pod. You're going to become one of us sooner or later. Well, but that's that's just yet another reason why I think I belong out in the Bay Area. That and to root for my beloved A's. Well, I smell an article from you this week blaming uh, a lot of the Bay Area struggles on StarCraft. I oh, man. Was- if I was a writer on Not Graphs, I would, <laughs> I would have quotes from Ryan Zimmerman. It would be beautiful. <laughs> Well, I, I smell a guest article on Notgraphs. I don't think anybody on the Notgraphs staff – hey, Sestouli has to be very, very uh, impressed and the, the fact that you use the whole present author thing that you you took from him. So, I mean it's one of those things that Sestouli rubbed off on me, which is very different when someone says that Dane Perry rubbed off on me. Let's be clear about that. So I think that alone should allow you to get at least one guest gig on Notgrass. <laughs> Put in a good word for me. Yes, I will. All right, so let's move on to another disappointment so far. Zach Grinke, who is finally back from his uh, fight injury, and he hasn't been very good. So... Is this a, a case of maybe he's not fully healthy just yet or just a slow start and he's another goodbye low? I really don't know what to make of Zach Grinky anymore because for about two, three, four years in a row, I thought he was a top 10 pitcher in baseball. But the numbers just don't match up with his stuff. And I don't know if that's me being subjective and getting burned just one too many times by him. But his past three years of ERA are good but not great ever since his breakout 2009 season. So I don't know if he'll ever be like, you know, a sub 3-4 ERA guy consistently. He, he might just be like, yeah, he's got a 3-5 ERA, but he's going to give us, you know, 230 innings of it. It's just one of those things that 
no one can really explain it. But his walk rate is great. His strikeouts are down a little bit, but I think those will come back. Uh, Grinicki is another good candidate that I think I'd buy on, honestly. Yeah, you know what? His strikeout rate is down, and normally early in the season it might not necessarily be a concern, but I'm looking at his velocity, and his velocity has been down. Now, in his third start, not his last start, but the, the start previously after returning, his velocity was up. And I was thinking, okay, he just needed a couple of starts under his belt after returning, and now he's back to normal. But his last start, his velocity was back down again to just above 90 miles an hour. So I actually have a couple of trade offers in trying to buy low in one of my leagues. I'm tempted to actually withdraw those because if his velocity is down I mean, and his strikeout rate is down, that's a serious concern. And um, I think strike, yeah, velocity is obviously one of the big key indicators. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman on Rotographs and Fangraphs does a great job evaluating things like that. But again, like you said, early season, he's injured, he missed time. Pitcher velocity is always down a little bit in those first few starts in the year. And then they build up their arm strength and they come around again. Um, I'm not as worried, I'd say, about Granky, but I will say I'm a little leery. How's that for splitting hairs? <laughs> Way to be confident in picking a side. <laughs> I so, am nothing if not the Rock of Gibraltar. That's right. So what's crazy about Granky is that we always talk about how Babip, f- majority is luck. And yet this is a guy who... Except for his rookie year, which is funny that it was only his rookie year, he has never had a BABIP below 300. For a guy whose stuff is as good as Granky's is, it's amazing to me how he always has a BABIP above the league average. And, and you just wonder why. Because you always just assume, oh, let's look at his Sierra or his XFIP, and, and, and you project Granky to be one of the top pitchers in baseball, and yet his BABIP never regresses to the league average, and his ERA is always higher than you would expect. You know, I used to just blame it on the defense a lot of times because he was with the Royals, ha, 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 everybody gets that. And then he went to a, a good Royal, a good Brewers team, but again, they weren't really great on defense in, during those times. And now with the Dodgers, you know, there's Hanley in the infield and Ether in the outfield and Kemp in center. And I don't know if it's a case of the perfect storm of everywhere he goes. His defense is just, you know, five, eight, ten points worse than the league average in Babbitt. Or if it's just him at this point. So it's hard for me to really extract the independent variable and pin down exactly what he does wrong. Because I can't figure it out either. I don't know if it's him or if it's the defense at this point. It's one of those blurred lines that... I'm just uncomfortable making, you know, broad, sweeping generalizations about his skill set on. Yeah, so between the two of Kane and Granky, I think I would feel more comfortable buying low on Kane. Are you in agreement? Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that, yeah. All right, let's get to our third disappointment. Cole Hamels is clearly last year's Cliff Lee. When <laughs> Cliff Lee went like 6-17 and 17 or something last year, Cole Hamels is 1-9. and nine. Who would have thunk? Yeah, not me, because he was one of the pitchers that I bought in just about every league, and my hairline's beginning to recede, I think. (laughs) Oh my gosh, his ERA is at 486, and his walk rate is up a bit, strikeout rate is down, nothing really seems to be going right for Cole Hamels. So, again, what is there, is there an explanation here? Is there a problem, or is he also just random 
early season flukiness, which all starting pitchers are going to endure at some point in their career. Well, like as as you kind of said, like his strikeouts are down and his walks are up, both you know just a touch on each side. But overall, that really really changes his ratios because for his career, he has a three point seven two strikeout to walk ratio, but this year it's down to two point six four. So that's where you can see kind of burning the candle on both ends, so to speak, in that regard. And his K percentage is at basically an all-time low of 20.6%. Uh, you know, general concerns aside, his strikeout rate, or his swing and strike rate, excuse me, is 12.1%, which is virtually his career average. Um, his first strike percentage is great. Overall, again, his, his underlying stats look great. His peripherals are fine. It's just he doesn't have the results. Yeah, and actually, the worst control was really only an issue in April because back in May now, his walk percentage was back down to 5%, so he's completely fine there. His strikeout rate is still a little down, but his velocity is fine. His swinging strikes are fine. So again, just like Matt Cain, it's very difficult to pinpoint an explanation here, and... I think he also makes a fantastic by low. Mm-hmm. I think he has another, I don't know if he'll put up another four war season, but from this point forward, if he puts up three war, yeah, that wouldn't shock me. So between Matt Cain and Cole Hamels, who do you think is the better by low? Because clearly Granky is third in line between these three, but I think I like Hamels better just because I always am weary of Matt Cain types who really rely on low BABIPs, low home run per fly ball ratios. Hamels has never relied on that. He just completely relied on just great skills. And so I'd rather bet on the skills than the luck. And so I'd probably go Hamels the rest of the way in terms of rebounding. Um, you know, I think I'll take the other side of the coin on this one. I think I would take Kane, actually. Uh, the combination of basically his home park versus Hamels' home park plays a big part of that. And Hamels is going to post a double home run rate. We kind of know that. Whereas Kane should post, you know, a sub 8% home run rate. And eventually those runs and homers, they add up in the ERA count. So I think I would take Kane, then Hamels, then Granke. It's close between Kane and Hamels, but I'll still give the nod to Kane. All right, let's move along to a pitcher who both of us really loved in the preseason. But although his ERA doesn't really reflect it, he's been a bit of a disappointment as his strikeouts have not been there. And, of course, I'm talking about Padre starter Andrew Kashner. So tell us why you have a love affair with Kashner and why it continues. <laughs> Andrew Kashner kind of stole my heart last season. I'll say it that way. Um, you know, he, he was just outstanding, just great as soon as he got the call, you know, to be in the bullpen. And then he's almost as good as a starter. So I looked at his strikeout rate. I looked at his walk rate. I could handle a walk rate, you know, that's, you know, above three and a half. When a strikeout rate is 10 per nine, that's great. Realistically, I knew that his strikeout rate would probably come down a little bit, and I kind of hoped his walk rate would. Both things have happened, and it's just that his strikeout rate has fallen more than I really initially hoped and or thought was possible. Because like you said, his ERA is 3.65, but... In eight starts thus far this year, he's been worth negative 0.2 war because his FIP is 4.43. So I don't know what the struggles are that he's facing right now because he's getting every opportunity to start now. He initially began the season in the bullpen, 
I think that was a shrewd move to try and build up his arm strength, things like that, whatever so be it. Personally, I would have started him in AAA as a, in the rotation, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but Kashner, he's, like, his first strike rate is fine. It's about league average, but his swinging strike rate has plummeted almost four points from last season and two points against his career average. So I don't know if he's just getting tired or if it's still early and he doesn't have that arm strength built up. But hey. what do you think of our boy, Kashner? Yeah, well, one of the biggest question marks right now is check out that slider velocity. Last year, he was throwing like 86 and change. This year, that's down to 82. And if you check out his pitch FX velocity chart, it's basically a downward trend on his velocity the entire season. So his last start, his slider averaged less than 80 miles per hour, whereas at the beginning of the season, it averaged 85. And it's just been, if you basically put a trend line over those averages, it would just be a complete downward trend. So you wonder if this is a conscious decision to control the pitch better but induce fewer swinging strikes or if there's something seriously wrong here. You know, I I haven't really noticed any injury or any, you know, release point floating, anything quite like that. But as you mentioned, the stark contrast from where his slider and fastball speed was in the beginning, early stage of the year, and where it is now, there's clearly something going on there. Um, I'll have to do a little more pitch FX digging or have one of the really smart guys do some more pitch FX clearing. <laughs> but this is concerning to say the least. And I actually drafted Kashner last year and kept him at a uh, 29th round value, our final round in one of my leagues. And he's easily been worth that. But th- I have a little bit of worry creeping in now because his strikeout rates aren't there. And every once in a while, he'll just have like a five walk game. And it's just, it's just breaking my heart and my whip. It's just tough to see. Yeah, his changeup uh, swinging strike rate is down too. So all his pitches are just not as effective. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. It's confusing. Mm-hmm. And then he'll go out and he'll have a game where his strikeout rate is pretty good. For example, uh, you know he faced Arizona five strikeouts in six innings. Washington, six strikeouts and six and two-thirds. And so you think that, okay, the strikeout ability is still there. It just doesn't necessarily come out every game. Mm-hmm. So you just don't know. I mean, it's nice that his his, uh, his walk rate is basically fine right now. It's actually good. And yeah, uh, his last four starts, he's only walked combined two batters. Yeah, I mean, he's struggled with control in the past. So it is nice to say that his walk rate is better. And I'm sure people who don't understand stats and, you know, more casual fans will be like, oh, well, Kashner has become a pitcher, not a thrower, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Uh, I I hate when I hear that. But I'm concerned, especially in terms of uh, fantasy value, just because strikeouts is a category, Mm -hmm. and when his strikeouts are down, then that's going to cut into his value. I mean, I'm still basically starting Kashner automatically at home. But I am being a little more selective on the road, uh, which is something that I never would have imagined I say, you know, a month and a half into this or two months into the season, just, you know, three months ago. I would have been like, oh, yeah, Kashner, auto start everywhere. Yankee Stadium, you know, Cardinals, doesn't matter. I'm starting him. Now I'm getting a little gun shy with my boy Kashner. Yeah, it it sucks because I, I think his skill set, he does have the potential to be one of the top pitchers in the National League. Ground balls, good enough control and gobs of strikeouts, or so we thought. Mm -hmm. So it would have been nice to see that. He'll throw in his home park, and you're like, wow, he could have, you know, 
a couple just transcendent seasons in fantasy teams for fantasy leagues. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he's a guy who I think you just have to hold on to and cross your fingers that those strikeouts return. I don't think he's somebody that you could really sell high or, or you'd really want to sell high. He's obviously not somebody to acquire right now until those strikeouts start creeping back up. So hold on to him, cross your fingers, and just keep throwing him out there and hoping he doesn't blow up. I don't think he'll blow up. I think he'd be solid, but may not be as good as we thought he was capable of being. Right. I have a question. If you're in a 12-team mixed league with a pretty shallow bench, would you hang on to Kashner, or would you keep? Would you drop him and hope to pick him up as a stream candidate? Because right now, his ESPN ownership is below 20%. That's surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it really depends on who's available in free agency. I, No matter what leagues, I, I'm in a daily – am I in two? I'm in one daily league right now. And for the most part, I don't really stream guys because I end up picking up a guy that I'm like, wait, I like this guy and I think he will be good all season. I don't want to drop him again and just make, make him uh, a streaming slot. So I typically don't go the streaming route, especially because daily leagues usually have either an innings cap or a game started limit. And so each game in each set of innings is you want to use with quality. And so streaming, I don't think, is really a great strategy in a daily type league. All right, we're going to move on to uh, Would You Rather game. And it's going to be for third baseman. And I want to start off with... Matt Dominguez in Houston, who I have to pat myself on the back because uh, at the end of April, I named Matt Dominguez as a deep league waiver wire recommendation, and he's been damn good since. <laughs> yes, so, he is. Yeah, he's he's been showing a lot of power, mm-hmm. and so is he a guy who might sneak onto a 12-team mixed leagues radar? Um, You know, if he keeps having two home run days, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But in the long term, I, I don't really see him profiling as such. Uh, even if he ends the season with, you know, 20 home runs for third base, that's pretty good. But his counting stats will still be pretty low. And even as shallow as third base is with a sub, you know, 240 average right now and home runs, that's not really enough to get it done on my team. Um, particularly because I play an average and an OBP league. So he hurts me really badly in two categories right there and just doesn't have enough counting sets to really pull his weight. Yeah, especially when he's barely hitting his weight. He he has a pretty crazy statistical profile. I'm looking at his BABIP. I'm like, oh, my God, a 240 BABIP. That should clearly rebound. But look at that infield fly ball percentage, 23%. That's like close to a league-leading rate if uh, uh, BJ Upton, if he wasn't in the league, because he's at like 30%. That's nuts. And I think Ricky Weeks is pretty high as well. So 23% pop-ups is going to kill your BABIP. Yeah. And he's also a fly ball hitter. We know fly balls go for hits less often than ground balls. Uh, and then check out that walk rate. 2.9% walk rate. He's walked six times all season. That's yeah, he has insane. more home runs than walks. It's insane. <laughs> and then obviously he's not in the greatest of lineups. So that's not really going to be great for his uh, RBIs and his runs. So, all right, let's go with the Would You Rather game. Would you rather Matt Dominguez or Chris Johnson? And this is actually a question that I got on Twitter the other day. So I have my answer that I gave on Twitter. I want to hear yours. I'd go Chris Johnson. Okay, and why is that? Mm -hmm. Uh, I like the lineup that he's in better. 
Uh, I mean, the two Uptons plus Hayward alone are better than any five hitters that the Astros can try it out at this point. But the key to me is not just playing time differences, even though, you know, Johnson's in a bit of a timeshare right now, but Johnson's just a better player. He He's going to hit for a higher average with similar counting stats. And if the counting stats are about the same, then I will take the extra 40, 50 points in average every time and not bat an eye. So in my Twitter question asker's context, he said he needed a short-term pickup to replace uh, an injured guy. I don't remember if it was Brett Laurie or, uh, or or somebody else, but it was more like a short-term. And so I told him that if you needed power, I would go Dominguez because I think he's going to be uh, hit a little more on the home run side just because he has a better contact rate and he has a good fly ball rate. So I thought the home runs, Dominguez, but batting average, clearly Chris Johnson. And in a short-term type of a situation, I'm always going to bet on the power because over a two, three-week span, really anybody can be better in batting average. So short-term, I think I would go Dominguez. But yeah, if this was a long-term solution, I probably would go Chris Johnson just because the counting stats, runs, and RBIs will probably be better just given the lineup, and the batting average is going to be better and not kill your fantasy team. <laughs> so I guess to wit, I mean, yeah, he, you know, Dominguez can go absolutely bonkers for one week, but I'm looking at uh, Chris Johnson. Obviously, his bad batter average and balls and plays up in the stratosphere, but those hits really add up for me. And sure, his lineup position isn't the most ideal for third baseman. He's been kind of all over, but recently he's hitting a little more sixth, a little less eighth and ninth and so on. So I'm beginning to come around on Chris Johnson a little bit. I still don't love him, but short term, I still like him more. Okay, what about Matt Dominguez or Kevin Euclid? This might be obvious. I'm not sure. Uh, I got to go Euc. Yeah, I got asked this yesterday as well. The same guy who asked me, Chris Johnson and Dominguez, he's like, all right, well, what about Dominguez or Kevin Euclid? I'm like, oh, clearly Euclid's there. Yeah. I don't think there's any possible debate about that. Uh, curiously, Euclid is only owned in less than half of ESPN leagues yet, too. Uh, I only cite ESPN because I know that they draw out the dead leagues. So that's why, you know, they'll see a lot more higher rate ownership ratings than, say, CBS or Yahoo. I would guess in terms of low ESPN percentages is that Euclid just got back from the DL. And a lot of times in leagues that don't have uh, any DL slots or maybe have only one in a small bench, a lot of teams just end up dropping injured players because they just can't afford to hold on to them. And so Euclid was probably dropped in a lot of leagues. He just came back, and maybe teams are happy with their third-base replacements, and they just have not yet picked up on the fact that Euclid is back, or he, they just haven't picked him up yet. Mm-hmm. They should check out the latest Roto write-up. Some, a certain author touched on that. Clearly, the present author discusses all the benefits of having Kevin Euclid on their team. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last, would you rather Matt Dominguez or Pedro Alvarez? This is a bit more of a struggle for me. Um, I'm going to go Pedro Alvarez. I still don't love him. I mean, obviously he hit 30 home runs last year and had almost 90 RBIs. But again, the average is just going to beat you into the ground. What What is what is Alvarez's upside for average? 245 that he did last year? 240-ish? Because he's hitting under the Mendoza line as of right now. And his strikeout rate just terrifies me. So I'm going to go Alvarez, but it's a pretty narrow margin. 
Yeah, and it's basically what do you want? You're, you're not going to get a good average from Dominguez either, so they're not that different. It's just that we know that Alvarez has more power than Dominguez, so both of them are going to kill your average. Alvarez more so, but Alvarez is going to hit more home runs and probably going to have more RBIs and runs because of that. Plus, he has a better lineup slot, and he's probably in a slightly better lineup as well. So, Alvarez by a nose, you say? Uh, for me, it's by a nose. Yeah. Obviously, I'll probably get ripped for that. People are like, oh, well, how can you be you know, so against Alvarez? You just hate the Pirates, blah, blah, blah. That's- and I'm just really terrified of his strikeout rate and his terrible contact rate. It's some of these things, like it's it's like the book Moneyball said. And excuse me, while I you know kind of circle jerk about Moneyball over here for a moment, but good hitters develop power. Power hitters don't become good hitters. It's that simple for me. <laughs> and when you have a contact rate that's sixty three percent against a league average that's basically eighty percent, you're not long for this realm. It's just it's hard to maintain that. Yeah, that's. That's tough, and it's also tough just looking at the box score and just seeing 0 for 4 with two strikeouts every single game, and then it's just like, finally, 1 for 4 with a home run, and then it's back to the 0 for 4s, and it just, it's hard to be patient with a player like that. Right, right. All right, let's get to the last player quickly before we wrap things up, and that's Tyler Skaggs, who is going to probably be called up to make his second start of the season on Tuesday to replace the injured Brandon McCarthy. And we don't know how long Brandon McCarthy with his shoulder injury is going to be out for. So it's possible that Skaggs gets a, an extended look. Is he a guy that mixed league owners should consider? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he has the prospect pedigree. He has the minor league track record. And honestly, his first start was perfect. I mean, what, what, what more can you say about his first start than that? You know, I mean, he went six innings. And he struck out nine, no runs. There's not a whole lot to say. So in all but, you know, unless you don't play in a NL-only league or in... Wait, what am I saying here? Unless you play in an NL East-only league, then yeah, pick up Skaggs. Because he's just going to be worth it at minimum a stream candidate. Best case scenario, he turns it on right away and he cruises through as a starter for the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree for the most part with some reservations. I mean, he's a, a fly ball pitcher. Last year, his fly ball rate was nearly 48%. And is that really a good combination uh, at City Field? Uh, City Field, that's that's uh, Mets. Uh, what are they calling it now? Not Bank One Ballpark anymore uh, in Arizona. Oh, it's not Chase anymore? Chase Field. I said City because I knew it was some financial firm. And it was- okay, I was, like, I was like, wait, they changed it from Chase too? Wow. Oh, my God, yeah. Well... <laughs> I knew it was a financial firm, and City popped into my head. Uh, yeah, Chase Field is obviously a, a home run ballpark, and so it's really not a great place to be a fly ball pitcher. And and so that's the only downside I really see for Skaggs. But other than that, his minor league record looks good. His first start, obviously, was excellent. Got a ton of swinging strikes, lots of first strikes. So, yeah, if you need pitching in a 12-team mixer, I think he is worth taking a chance on, given that strikeout potential. And uh, obviously... And all only leaguers have got to take a chance in, in, in deeper mixed as well. And hey, maybe he could be the next Patrick Corbin. <laughs> all right, well, that's going to do it for us today. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For David Weirs, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.